This is God's holy and infallible word at Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And then the rest of our verses are going to especially be our focus this morning. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more... Having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That's God's word for us and to us this morning. This is certainly a special Sunday. Witnessing professions of faith is always a joy. Our elders Many of them have told me, have told others, it's, it's a highlight of serving as an elder because these students make profession uh, there first. And it, it's such a, a special joy to me, obviously, as a father with Olivia, part of this group. God made a promise. He put a, his hand on these girls at their baptisms. Parents and congregation, we, we made promises to raise them in the Lord. The Bible tells us very clearly that our homes are the center of spiritual life. And then as a church, we support our families. Our children are nurtured in faith week by week in worship, Christian community, and also through all kinds of special ministries with all these volunteers, so much time and effort and commitment and resources to nursery and children's church, Sunday school and cadets and gems these clubs for boys and girls, youth groups. And having received God's grace in so many different ways, in their homes, directly through his spirit, through this church, these five said yes to God in thankful commitment to live for Jesus. So this joy we have this morning comes from seeing our kids give their lives to the Lord. And this joy is there, this great joy Because this faith that we profess as Christian, this faith brings great joy to our lives. This is the faith that we've been talking about in Romans 5. Last week, verses 1 and 2 highlighted those three gems of justification, peace with God, access to God, a hope in God. These are gems and blessings we may receive The Bible says, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verses 3 and 4, we saw that not even suffering 
can rip God's blessings away from us. We rejoice in our sufferings, Paul says. And you think, what? Are Christians nuts? We like suffering? We rejoice in our sufferings? We wish for suffering? No, Christians don't rejoice for our sufferings. We don't ask for them, but we can rejoice in them. And God makes us stronger in suffering, producing perseverance, character, and hope. We talked about all that last week. Now our verses go on, and we can see in them, I believe, why the faith that we profess, that these students have professed, why it brings us such incredible joy. Joy permeates the life of believers. Why is that? Well, the faith we profess brings us joy first because it displays to us the wonderful love of God. In talking about the joy of the faith, you're going to notice we're going to be talking a lot about the love of God because Paul does. This is the first spot in his book where he talks about the love of God. We sang a lot about the love of God in those hymns. The faith we profess brings joy because it displays for us God's love. And this is verses 6 through 8, if you got your Bibles open and are tracking along. At just the right time in history, Paul says, or in the fullness of time, that's what Galatians 4 says, Christ died. And he says he died while we were still powerless. And that is the understatement of the year. We sure were powerless. You know what? You and I weren't even born yet. That's how powerless and helpless we were. Yet, then Christ died for the ungodly. And Paul, who wrote Romans, is saying, he's saying something like this to us. It would take a very loving person to die to save someone else. It, it would be very rare to die even for someone who's sort of an upright person. Though he says for someone who's a good person, in other words, what's behind that, someone maybe who's, who's a kind and, and warm and loving person, in addition to being a morally upright person, well, someone, a likable person like that who's also upright, maybe someone would die for someone like that. But to die for someone who is evil, well, not even a loving person would do that. And so he's saying this really proves how much God loves us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. And remember, being a sinner involves being at war with God. And that's why we need that peace with God. God is king. God makes claim to everything, including our hearts and lives. Sin is us setting ourselves up as our own authority we're king over our own lives, is what we're saying in sin. And, and that's exactly the definition of war. Two people claiming authority over the, same author, uh, over the same life, the same territory, God and us. But in the midst of that warfare that we're born into, God displayed his love. Jesus died for us to make us his friends. This is a fact in history. Your students have taken history in, in school. Maybe you're in a history class now. I, I don't know as many facts in history as Mr. Roloffs, who was singing this morning, teaches history at Timothy. 
But, but I looked up a few, and I found out that some not-too-great things happened in the month of April in history, the month that we're in. And, and if you look online, you find it's almost like they say, this is the worst month in the history of the world, the start of the Civil War. You, you, you students know all this, but for those of us who don't, the start of the Civil War, April 12, 1861, Abraham Lincoln was shot on April 14, 1865, the Titanic sunk during the early hours of April 15. Hitler was born in April. Chernobyl, that nuclear plant meltdown, happened in April 1986. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated in April. And then on this very day, the 19th in 1775, the Revolutionary War officially began. And in 1995, remember what happened then? The Oklahoma City bombings. These are historical facts. They're in the history books. They cannot be disputed. Well, here's another historical fact that can't be disputed. It will always be so. The greatest demonstration of God's love happened in history. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came. He walked this earth. He suffered. He died on a cross outside Jerusalem on that hill, and then he rose again. It's an undisputed historical fact, a historical reality, the demonstration of the love of God. The faith we profess brings us joy also because it pours out God's love into our hearts. God's love is even more than a display in history. God's love is more than a fact, Jesus dying on the cross. It's something that God puts inside us. It's something God is doing to us. And this is verse 5. God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So that means God's love isn't just something we point to and admire. How cool and awesome is it that Jesus died on the cross? No, every Christian will also have an internal experience of God's love. And sometimes that's something strong and sudden and powerful and striking. And sometimes it's more a gentle and mild working in the Holy Spirit. In fact, probably most of the time in our lives, it's that. The first profession of faith question asked this of the students. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God sent to redeem the world? And do you love and trust him as the one who saves you from your sin? These students believe Jesus is the Savior of the world. And more than that, in our profession of faith class, right, girls? And with the elders, they shared how God has touched them, how God is working in their hearts. There's a true story of a grade school age girl who shared with her mom how her teacher had talked with the class that day about Jesus going to the cross and how he was rejected by people and how he suffered and died. And she shared with her mom all the detail of this. And she said, and mom, he didn't even do anything wrong. And then she said that when her teacher prayed after the Bible lesson, she almost cried. 
just thinking about it all, thinking about Jesus. Friends, that's the Holy Spirit pouring out God's love into a child's heart. And there's no greater joy to a parent than a conversation like that. And we pray this for our children. We, we work towards it. We disciple them. But we especially pray because it's a work of God. It's a work of God. We need him to pour out his love in us. And then we seek to nurture that in our homes until one day, like these students today, covenant children might say in front of God's people, Lord, I love you too. And it doesn't end with our profession. God continues to pour out his love so that we know him and experience him in our hearts. As uh, our catechism says, this faith we celebrate, it's not only a knowledge and conviction that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, but it's also a deep-rooted assurance that's created in us by the Holy Spirit. A bunch of you here have been following along on my uh, care pages with my follow-up to the brain surgery I had a few years ago, about three and a half years ago. I really, really appreciate that. And if you're following along, you know that I had a three-month MRI this past Monday. The doctor on Tuesday said everything looks great. It was a wonderful report. They took a careful look, and the verdict is there's absolutely nothing going on in my brain. From what I could tell with conversations with folks, most people, if not all, who get these sorts of follow-up scans get a little nervous about them. The prospect of cancer returning after treatments or surgery is just not something you want. And I'm sure people handle the tests, the waiting for the results in a whole variety of ways. Some people get very, very anxious. Others not as much. I think I'm probably somewhere in the middle. I don't know what Sarah would say. She knows me better than anybody, but I think I'm somewhere in the middle. I don't think I'm particularly brave, not very courageous about it, but I don't totally fall apart either. Well, on the way to the doctor on Tuesday, I had some time of real worry. And the reason for it was the last couple times I received my good report, it was later in the day on Monday, which was the same day I had the MRI. And now today, it was noon on Tuesday, and no word. And, and then, then you think, well, maybe it's bad news, and the doctor didn't want to tell me through a note online or through a phone call. He, he wanted to tell me face-to-face the bad news. And I was getting very anxious, and and so I I prayed that God would give me peace, that I I would trust in him. I prayed that it would be a good report, and and I prayed that no matter what the report, he would see me through. And, And then when I was at a real low point, God did something very specific and very concrete to assure me of his love. It was so clear and so direct that I broke down in the car by myself in the joy of his presence. I felt that he was with me and that it was going to be okay. Brothers and sisters, God pours out his love in our hearts, not always so intensely, 
But what a great blessing when he does that for his children. As awesome as his love is demonstrated on the cross, our God is so loving that he doesn't leave his love there for us to ponder and look at. He puts it right here by the Holy Spirit. It's what he did in these students' hearts. I trust he's done it in your heart. Third, the faith we profess brings us joy because it holds us with God's love forever. And this is verses 9 and following. Paul talks about being saved from God's wrath, saved through Christ's life. We're being kept safe from ultimate judgment, Paul's talking about, and we're being saved until that final day of Jesus' return or calling us home. In that time, he's keeping us. And and this, this is what I think God's word is saying. If Jesus saved us while we were still God's enemies, how much more is he gonna keep us and save us now that we've been justified by his blood and made his friends? If God was able to save us while we were hostile to him, would he ever fail us now that we are friends of him because of Jesus? Of course not. That wouldn't make any sense. If God didn't give up on you when you were at war with him, what could you do now to make you make him give up on you? Now that you're at peace with him because of Jesus, the answer is nothing. There's nothing you could do. The way these verses are explaining it, it sounds ludicrous to think that the Lord would ever leave us or forsake us. And yet, you know what? We need to hear it because we wonder, we worry sometimes about whether God truly loves us. Maybe we've been baptized, we believe in Jesus, we've responded to the Lord in our hearts, maybe even we've professed faith in church, and yet when we go through the valley, we can wonder about God's love. Maybe it's a sinful behavior in your life, and you wonder, I feel so ashamed. There's no way God could love me and my dirty, rotten mind and heart. Maybe you're wondering because of a loss or a serious illness and God feels so far away, your prayers aren't being answered in the way that you want them to be. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's an addiction. You know, even God's people can feel like God's love is very far away or even totally gone from their lives. You're not alone if you're feeling that way this morning or if you've ever felt that way. God's word is telling us, though, that it's just totally inconceivable that Jesus would fail to keep you to the very end. The God who brought us to faith will keep us going in our faith. The God who opened up heaven to us will ensure that we arrive there. Paul says a few chapters later, Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things, even what you stand in need of day by day by day? We hold this assurance for ourselves. We hold it for loved ones that we know and are praying for who seem to be wandering from the faith in the Lord? You know, for those times you're uncertain about God's love, 
And we have those times. Remember then the cross, the empty grave, those acts in history, even when we're not feeling his love in our hearts. The cross is the constant reminder of the reality of his love. It happened. Nothing can change that. Not even your lack of feeling God's love. Salvation is God's initiative, remember. And then as you cling to the cross and the grace of God, you trust that God in his time will bring you once again to experience the fullness of his love in your hearts. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, no one can snatch the sheep from his hand. God will not let you go. One other thought this morning. This faith we profess brings us, that brings us such joy. It's for the world. We're talking about joy. That word rejoice is in these 11 verses three times. And that word rejoice is something that comes out from us. Rejoicing in the joy of the believer is something that's noticeable. It shines. At the beginning of Romans, Paul talks about us being called by the Lord in order to call others to be disciples of Jesus. That's our mission. And you know what? I think a life of joy is probably the most winning way that we have at our disposal to fulfill our mission of telling the world of Jesus and his love. Sometimes the church has been accused of not being too great at displaying God's love. and Sometimes Christians have been accused of being judgmental or exclusionary or grumpy. But we know that's not right. We know that's not who we are. And when we are grumpy, we can be grumpy sometimes, but when we are grumpy, it's not who we want to be. As we see God's love demonstrated on that cross, as we feel it and experience it poured out in our hearts, and as we experience it holding us forever, we can't help but rejoice. In our speech, in our attitudes, in our actions, we who believe, we express the joy of the Lord. We do that here with one another in the community of faith and worship and fellowship, and we express that joy to the world. By God's grace, through faith, this all happens. Students, we rejoice in your embracing of God's love through faith. And you know what? We want everyone we touch here at faith to do the same. Maybe you're a guest today. Maybe you're thinking about professing faith one day as a young person. Maybe you're, you're a boy or a girl. Maybe you're 90 years old. The Lord calls each one of us to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and so to know God's love and experience the incredible joy that faith in him brings. Amen.